Hello and welcome to this teaching from Pennington AG Church. We are into our second week of a four-week series studying the Old Testament book of Jonah. It is a unique, fun, exciting, and helpful book in teaching us how to understand the entirety of the story of Scripture. Jonah is a minor prophet, and what a minor prophet means is it's a smaller prophetic book. And even though it is considered a prophetic book, over 80% of the book itself is a narrative. It's a story about a prophet, except for the chapter we are gonna be studying today. Chapter two of Jonah takes place entirely inside the stomach of a fish. And in this chapter, we read a beautiful poetic prayer offered by the prophet Jonah. And in this, we're understanding different styles of biblical writing. And chapters one, three, and four of this book are narrative or just historical telling about Jonah's life. Chapter two is prophetic and poetic language. And so we see in this, it's not literal, it's artistic, it's imagery, it's hyperbole. Jonah sharing how he feels and using language to understand the mercy and grace of God. As we read this prayer, Let's review back on chapter one. As he talked last week, Jonah is a book about a prophet running from God's promise. And what I want you to take away largely in this study is that Jonah is not the hero of this story. And as we read ourselves into scripture, always remember we are not the heroes of the story. Jesus Christ, God come in flesh among us to die for the sins of the world, to resurrect and conquer death itself, to bring God's spirit to live in us eternally. He is the hero of the story. He is the hero of scripture. We are oftentimes the villain or the victim of the story we read. As we dive into chapter two, we already know Jonah called by God. He's called to teach the Assyrians about their sin. He's called to prophetically warn them of God's judgment. The Assyrians are a terrible, vicious, violent kingdom who eventually will take into captivity the northern half of Israel, God's people. Jonah, instead of going and being prophetic to them, he runs the opposite direction. God causes a storm on the ship. He gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish. As Jonah is now in the stomach of this fish, he offers a prayer, and the entirety of chapter two covers that prayer. We're gonna read it together. Starting in verse one, Jonah chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. What type of fish? We don't know. Is it a whale? Maybe. But inside of the belly of this fish, God is using a disastrous moment to bring Jonah back to where he needs to be. And what we see in the story of Jonah is God using situations we often think are disasters to course correct, to guide back. Whether it is a storm sinking a ship, whether it's Jonah drowning in the ocean, or whether it's now Jonah in the stomach of a monstrous giant fish. God may not cause all the disasters of our lives, but absolutely God can use disastrous, dangerous, painful moments to guide us back into his will and into the life he has made for us to live. Let's continue. Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the lands of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, 
and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Remember that being swallowed by a monstrous fish is an act of mercy from God. If not for the fish, Jonah would have drowned in the ocean. Jonah correctly sees that in this situation and sees being swallowed by the fish as an act of mercy from his God. And as we study this, how often do we see a painful moment or a painful circumstance in our life and just assume that this is terrible? When sometimes it's God using it as an act of mercy to protect us or save us from something worse. Continuing on, Jonah says, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. This is where it's important that we understand this is poetic writing. This is one of the three styles of scripture. There's narrative, there's poetic, and there's discourse. This is poetic. And it's important because he's using really big language, sinking down to the bottom of the earth, sinking into the gates of death itself, seaweed wrapped around his head. All of this is poetic imagery for that in Jonah's experience in this moment, he's dying or he died. And into this, it's also showing us a rebirth of Jonah. Jonah thinks at some point in this situation, I'm a goner. And this is a moment for Jonah to reflect on what his rebirth can be. The seaweed wrapped around him is a reference to burial cloth. And we see this referred all the way into the New Testament when Jesus says, I will not give you any sign except the sign of Jonah, who was buried under the waves for three days. And in this, Jesus shows us he was buried under the grave for three days. He was wrapped in burial cloth, Jonah wrapped in seaweed. And then he was born again in the same way Jonah is born again out of this fish. And into this, this is where Jonah is prophetic and poetic in that he's pointing us to the idea what Jesus Christ calls being born again out of God's grace and mercy, being born into new people, free from our sin and our shame. This is the process of what Jonah is working through inside of the stomach of a monstrous fish. We will see later though, at the end of this book, Jonah's rebirth doesn't fully stay for his whole life and we see him regress back, but let's continue on. But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Here Jonah sees the necessity of reaching out to God in times of trial and struggle. And this is a beautiful prayer that Jonah offers in this moment, but there's also a reality as we read this, he's praying out of desperation because he has to. He's at his end. It's, they say there are no atheists in a foxhole. He is doing something we very commonly do as human beings in a moment of disaster and struggle. 
we turn to God. We confess our sins. We ask for his mercy. It's that moment there are the police sirens behind you in your car and all of a sudden you're praying and you're repenting from everything and you're making promises to God about what you're going to do tomorrow. I'm not going to miss a single online service. And I'm gonna, I am going to contribute to the chat window during service and I'm going to tithe and I'm going to give to kingdom builders if as long as I don't get this ticket, as long as I don't get pulled over. Jonah is in a moment of desperation and this is what's fueling his prayer. Then, last verse, the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. We'll see in next week and in chapter 3 where that beach is. I won't spoil that for you. But let's look in just three takeaways of Jonah and his prayer inside of this great fish. The first one is this. God is present wherever you are. You cannot run from the presence of God. You can't outrun him physically as Jonah tries to do. You cannot distance yourself away from him in the way many of us try to do and bury ourselves in distractions so the voice of God can't examine us. We cannot run from the presence of God. This is a story of God showing grace to someone trying to run from him. It's a story about people in Assyria, violent people group of Nineveh. God sees them in their violence and still pursues them. We see the worst prophet trying to run away from his calling and God pursues him. This is the story of terrible circumstances and extremely disobedient people who are saved by a gracious and loving God. These are the circumstances God works in. Jonah is a book at the heart of the biblical story. Sinful people being rescued by a loving, merciful God. Jonah tries to run away. In fact, it says three different times Jonah tried to run from the Lord. He didn't just run from God's plan. He ran from the calling of who he's supposed to be. And he ran from the actual living presence of God. It shows his perception was he was trying to run from the omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful God. Jonah had convinced himself that somehow this was possible. Maybe Spain is the only country God wasn't in at the time. Maybe that was the language. Jonah tries to run from God's presence. And as much as we see in this story how ridiculous that is, it's a process many of us go through in our own lives. I play hide-and-seek with my nephews and nieces. They, when they were younger, and some of them are still four or five, they are not very good at hide-and-seek. And And there is a methodology that a four-year-old will use in hide-and-seek. If they can't see me, I can't see them, right? And so oftentimes, they will hide on a couch and their heads are underneath the pillows. The rest of the body is all there. Or they'll be in the corner of a room and they'll be facing the corner, but I can see all of the rest of their body. And they believe if they can't see me, I can't see them. This is oftentimes what we try to do as infant children before an infinite God. If I can't see you, God, moving and working, if I avoid the scriptures, if I avoid time in prayer, if I don't visit my small group, or I don't talk to people who lovingly call me in accountability, if I don't join into a church service, if I don't listen to worship music, if I don't place myself in those circumstances, God won't see what I'm struggling with in my heart. And it's self-delusion. He sees already where you're struggling. He sees already what you need in your life. And we are only lying to and hiding from ourselves. Psalm 139 verses 7 and 8 say this beautifully. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And I don't mean this point or even this point today to be negative. It's actually incredibly encouraging and positive. Wherever you are, God is there. This means you can access God right now, wherever you are, in your life or in your circumstances. You may be watching this and feel like you don't have the Christian knowledge and biblical background in order to have conversations or preach in front of a camera or lead a small group or share your faith. But all it takes is a willingness to recognize that God's presence is there in the room with you. Or you may feel like you've messed too many things up, there's too many sins stacking on top of each other, and you can't wade your way through it. The presence of God can cut through all of that and meet you exactly where you are. The biblical men and women who experienced the presence of God are not good people with knowledge who deserved God's presence. They're simply people who recognized that he was near them whether it's Abraham or whether it's Jacob, whether it's David or whether it's Jonah, as we read these stories and see these men and women as they are, broken people, not heroes, rescued by a heroic God, it should set us free to recognize wherever we are in our lives, God is capable and willing to speak into us and to begin to use us and shape us. God literally comes and gets Jonah while he's running away in order to bring him to a people group who are actively pursuing to destroy his people. If God will go all that way to bring a disobedient prophet to a violent disobedient people, he for sure will meet you where you are to bring you back where he wants you to be. The second thing we see, God gives us a lot of opportunities to repent. No one is beyond the ability to still turn it around, repent, receive God's mercy. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us like this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We see in the book of Jonah, God used circumstance after circumstance that we may perceive as painful, disastrous moments in order to move Jonah to a moment of repentance. A storm, the ocean, and a giant fish. Each of these are painful moments for Jonah. Each of these are shameful moments for Jonah. And each of these are merciful, gracious moments of God guiding Jonah to an opportunity of repentance. The storm is God's grace on Jonah because it would be far worse for Jonah to live the rest of his life outside of the presence of God, to live the rest of his life outside of the calling God has on him, to live the rest of his life in disobedience to the call of who he is. Basically, what Jonah is doing is what many of us do. He wants to and accept a lesser life for the rest of his life. I'll live a shallow life devoid of meaning, I'll live a shallow, easy life, avoiding pain, and I'll just coax through, coast through the rest of my life. And God destroying Jonah's plan was an act of mercy to bring Jonah back to the fullness of who he is. Sometimes we ask God why we have to go through a storm, when we should be asking, God, what are you teaching me in this storm? Where are you in this? I applied to seven colleges um, 
when I was applying for colleges. I applied to seven, all ranging from uh, Columbia to Syracuse to Rutgers uh, to American University. And I got rejected from five out of seven of the schools I applied to. And only one of the two schools I applied to had the financial aid package for me to be able to afford to go to them. And so I'm a Rutgers alum, go Scarlet Knights. But in that moment, as an 18 year old with high aspirations, I remember receiving basically six closed doors and only one open to where I said, God, what are you doing in this? And in that moment, I felt like it was sorrow and pain. I look back now and going to Rutgers, I was able to study religion and sociology. I was able to stay connected with New Jersey churches that I had known. I was able to form um, my best friendship that I've had for the last 15 years while I was helping out at a church in Princeton. I was able to stay connected to Pennington AG Church, formerly First Assembly of God, as I grew and attended college, came back, was offered a job as a youth pastor, which then became associate and interim lead, and then lead pastor, and where I am today, getting to preach and lead this community. In the moment, I saw that being rejected from six out of five schools as a moment of punishment and pain when it was God guiding me in the direction he wanted for me. Oftentimes, we only see it in the rear view. But what we need to do is like Jonah, train ourselves to see it in the moment, to see the storm or the fish or the ocean as an opportunity for God to correct and guide us into our calling. We don't know how God will use circumstances until the full story is written. But if we understand the full written story of scripture, we understand the pattern of the God we live under. Practice the story. Oneness, God creating unity with man and woman and with God and man. Otherness, man choosing to make the world in their own image and being broken from God. That otherness expanding as we try to put the pieces back together and we just make it worse like the cat in the hat cleaning a stain. And then oneness being restored by Jesus Christ living in perfect oneness, healing and being gracious and dying on the cross. And then finally, oneness perfected as Jesus Christ returns and heals the entire world. We see our lives in that story. God, where are you restoring me back? God, where do I need the unity and oneness and healing of Jesus? God, where am I, like Jonah, expanding my otherness from others and from you in my own sin and shame? Ask yourself in every circumstance, where can I find God in this? Where can I find his direction in this story? God uses Jonah's rebellion to lead him back into his will. God uses scary situations to restore people back into his calling. He uses a scary, unwed young woman to bring Jesus Christ into the world. God uses the Roman occupation of his people and the death of a Roman cross to bring salvation to all mankind. Finally, you cannot ruin God's plan. You can't. You won't. You might try. You can't do it. The sovereign plan of God will work its way as he has devised it. Oneness with man, otherness, and then an expanding. Oneness in Jesus, and finally, all things being healed and restored through him. You can't break that plan. God will work it with or without you. And what we see in Jonah is despite his best attempts to stop God's mercy for the Ninevite people, God moves him there. Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving inside 
the stomach of the fish deep in the ocean after being thrown overboard in the middle of a storm. Jonah writes this, But you, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Jonah literally tries to ruin God's plan. He knows what God's plan is. It's to show mercy to the Ninevite people. Jonah doesn't like God's plan, doesn't want to be any part of God's plan. He wants to ruin what God wants to do. And he tries his very best to do it. He runs the opposite way. He doesn't even help when the ship is sinking. He falls in the ocean and he just lies there to die. He even says, I'm going to sink down and I'm going to die. And God works a miraculous work to bring Jonah to where he needs to be. I don't know who of you watching this needs to hear this today. You cannot, you have not, you will not ruin the plans God has for this world, for his people, and for your life. You can delay it, you can derail it, but God will move and work. It's just how much of a part of it do you want to be? Jonah is dragged alongside of it, and we'll read in the end, even though God moves his work through Jonah, Jonah still ends in sorrow and sadness. Do you want to be dragged unwillingly into God's plan, or do you want to walk into it with fullness of joy? In Matthew 12, verses 39 through 40, we alluded to this. Jesus speaks to God's people as they ask him for a sign. He's speaking to these disobedient people, angry Israelites. He says to them, The only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus is speaking to his people about 600 years or so from the time of when Jonah was to have happened. And he's speaking to them about their own rebellion. God came into the earth and he put on flesh in the person of Jesus. He teaches grace and mercy. He teaches love and freedom for the oppressed and for the poor and the vulnerable. And he teaches and loves and performs miracles. And we have moments where God's people himself, the Israelites in this moment, do not want the plan God is working to be a spiritual plan, a plan of love. They want a violent overthrow and their own power restored. And they see in Jesus a different plan than the one they want and they try to thwart it. And what Jesus says to them is, my plan will come about. My plan will happen even as you try to disrupt it. God has his plan to come and restore back all people in Jesus Christ through the cross and the resurrection and the restoration of all things under the authority of King Jesus. Our decision and our call is simply, will we go along willingly or will we be dragged along in God's eternal and powerful plan? We see Jonah in this moment, a glimmer of recognizing God's power at play in his life. Will we continue that forward in ours? If you'll pray with me today. Some of you may be watching this and you may not have a relationship with Jesus. You may even be unfamiliar with these Old Testament stories. And I wanna encourage you all throughout, this is not the story of a great fish and a miraculous work. This is a story of rebellious, broken people saved by a gracious and loving God. And as we read the entire story of scripture, we get a full picture of a good, loving, gracious creator who desires 
to set his people free from their sin and shame. I wanna give you a chance to just pray that today. If you feel like you're living under the weight of your own sin and shame, and you don't stand confident that Jesus Christ will provide his grace and mercy and love in your life, I just wanna give you a chance to invite that. Pray that presence of Jesus into your life today. If you'll pray this with me. God, in this moment, I recognize myself like Jonah. I may be drowning in my own sea of rebellion. I may be swallowed by my own uh, problems and, and, and failures and fears. But Lord, I need your grace today. I believe, God, you came to this earth as Jesus and you came to rescue me. You came to give me a calling and a purpose. You came to be present with me now and for eternity. And by the death of Jesus on the cross, my sins were put to death. And by his resurrection, I was provided with new life forever by your spirit and in your power. Jesus, you gave your life for me. Today, I commit my life to follow you and to learn who you are. I submit myself under your lordship, Jesus. Will you save me, forgive me, and make me new? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If that was your first time praying that today, I just encourage you to click a link by this video and let us know. We would love to walk that journey along with you. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Pennington AG Online.